Hello everyone and welcome again to the latest Dairy Pod episode. I'm Rory MacDonald from Dairy Australia's farm team and in today's latest COVID-19 related podcast we'll be looking at how dairy markets both internationally and domestically are shaping up in the post-coronavirus world. Dairy Australia's Insights and Analysis Manager John Droppert who may also be well known to many listeners out there as an avid farm machinery enthusiast caught up with Fresh Agenda Director Steve Spencer whose analysis of the food industry, especially the dairy industry, is always well worth a listen. Markets are difficult to read and even harder to predict at at the best of times, so making firm decisions about the future isn't in anyone's interest. But with farmers looking for any information they can get leading up to milk price announcements, this is a fascinating conversation on what's driving farm gate prices from Winyard to Wisconsin and what could be in store in the coming months. Once again, the sound quality is not what it could be, But self-isolation brings many challenges, including recording podcasts. In fact, John recorded this one in a tractor cabin in an attempt to find a quiet place with decent phone reception. Steve Spencer, uh, thanks for joining us on DairyPod. It's good good to be here, John. Yeah, here's the the operative term, Steve. Uh, I I understand you're recording from your home office and I'm recording from one of mine, being a a tractor out the front of the shed where there wasn't quite as much uh, wind noise. Now... It was all going so well, wasn't it? Or, or, or was it? I mean, we'd sort of seen dairy fundamentals as being reasonably solid um, coming into 2020. Um, I understand you guys had a bit of a different view. There was some, uh, there were some creeks starting to uh, um, develop in, in some of the supply-demand balances, especially in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, I think, look, milk was starting to, we'd, we'd had a period of time when uh, with good milk prices and I guess it needed weather to line up and that, that was certainly starting to happen. So feed prices in Europe and the US have been pretty good for farmers. So we were seeing uh, uh, production starting to kick in and both both US and Europe were, you know, one to one and a half, two percent growth rates. Um, so they were starting to shape up like we, we'd seen... Um, you know, long period of long period of prices climbing, product prices starting to go up. We we saw some parts of the market starting to back off, and mm, this is getting a bit expensive. Um, so yeah, we were seeing a bit of a loosening of things, but still relatively good. You know, putting look at looking at scheme of things, prices are still pretty good. But yeah, that uh, that yeah, was and, the case. And still constrained in some places, like the Netherlands, I suppose, with uh, you know the, the regulatory. Um, issues that they've still been dealing through. Yeah, look, I'd say that it's it's actually really hard to consistently grow milk in the world now. Like it, it's it is much more fragile. Um, it's taken a lot of things to line up for the US to grow milk, um, and you know they've only just started growing their cow numbers again very slowly. Uh, Europe's cow numbers were down, so their growth has come off good conditions and yield and you know, attractive margins. So yeah, it's, it, it needs more stars to line up to get growth. Uh, it's much harder. Yeah, you mentioned the US and that was certainly an interesting story there where we had milk production, you know, kind of stable or growing, but largely off the back of per cow production. Um, mm. and, and at the same time where we saw a lot of farms, you know, we saw reports of, of dairy crisis or um, similar headlines in you know parts of the the Midwest and uh, and especially the Northeast there. Yeah, the um, I guess what they what they talk about in the US is is farmer balance sheets are still in pretty poor shape. I mean we've heard this around around the world and New Zealand we're certainly seeing that. You know farmers um, gone through a long period of uh, of tight times, built up debt, 
to try and keep their businesses in good shape. And the US, they had four years of very miserable milk prices and uh, were carrying a lot more debt. So <clears throat> I think banks were starting to say, you know, we need to, we need to rein some of this in. So instead of being able to grow and, and stabilize a growth platform, cow numbers stayed reasonably where they were. So when, you know, farmers getting an, taking another hit, uh, they're, more, they're in more a fragile position than they were before. And I sort of, I mean, let's let's jump to the the US and and Europe, I suppose, in terms of the current situation we've seen mm. recent, um, you know, a lot of headlines and and pictures of milk dumping, um, and as you know, in parts of the US, that's not uncommon. But perhaps the scale that we're seeing at the moment is, uh, and coming at a time where we're also seeing empty shelves in supermarkets around the world, that's probably you know adding a bit of emotion to the picture. I mean, how do you see that? Um, that headline, I guess, fitting into the, the current situation. Yeah. So, I, look, I think the the thing that's dramatically happened, as you know, is is that with with lockdowns, the um, milk growth milk growth was certainly coming, and the US struggles with um, you know it's always very tight when you have milk growing at just one or two percent. Uh, there are regions in the US where they simply can't even handle that that year on year growth. So. Um, I think late last year, early this year, they might have had a few plants with difficulties, factories that, that had to close for operational issues, um, various things like that. And you've got a major milk processor in a lot of trouble in um, uh, in Dean's food. So putting those things together, we were in March and they were having handling handling challenges in many regions with, with just too much milk. Um, lockdowns caused the food service market to just completely crash and so you've seen that that's occurred over a couple of short weeks and there's various um, uh, websites and, and analysts that report the rundown in in uh, store traffic or restaurant traffic and it's, it's quite a spectacular fall We've never seen anything like it um, <clears throat> so what it's doing is basically stopping a big chunk of the cheese market which normally goes into fast food you know, restaurant meals, burgers and the like, people can't eat out. Um, and so that, that demand has simply stalled. Um, and, you know, with milk growing in the, at the same time, you've got an absolute crisis because that milk's got nowhere to go. Yeah, and, and even something as simple as someone's mentioned to me, uh, you know, school milk. Um, obviously, schools aren't uh, in session and, and something like 7% of, of liquid milk going through the school system. Yeah. Yeah, it all it all lined up, didn't it? I mean, you've got various parts various parts of the market. We haven't talked about cream yet, but you know, there's a a big part of of the you know when you when you're processing skim milk powder and um, uh, into, into um, milk powder and and fat, you've you've got cream, which is an important part of that whole product mix. And cream is mostly food service, and that's also stalled. So you've got to churn that cream. Uh, you can't you can't just drop it and adding to the fact that probably two thirds of US butter demand is also in food service. So you got this not only falling demand, you got mounting production at the same time, all happening in a very fast time frame. Yeah, quite a crisis. And uh, as, as tends to be the case in the northern hemisphere, the uh, the calls for the government to get involved are um, you know have appeared pretty quickly. Is that something you know? Do you see us returning to a situation of of government owned stockpiles? Um, you know, let's talk about Europe for an example. Is is the European Commission going to be keen to build up another skim milk powder stockpile in a hurry after the the nightmare the last one caused? 
Yeah, I don't think, uh, I think everyone's very wary of that situation. I even think in, let's start, let's start in the US. The US, the US industry has already put a, a fairly detailed proposal to, to government, uh, came out yesterday, um, asking for various measures to uh, deal with the situation. So they want to provide an incentive to cut milk supply. Uh, they've asked for um, government purchases of product. Uh, they've asked for government, um, essentially a food stamp program to be cranked up um, that, that will help pull some dairy out of out of the supply chain and to pay farmers for um, a compensation for dumping milk. So there's various measures that have gone to government. Um, it's still just a plan, uh, but it's certainly in there. There's some purchasing. You know, the government is already doing some purchasing smaller volumes when they had the dispute with China. The US had the dispute with China and there was some surpluses generated there, but um, this is far greater. Uh, we could talk about whether or not it's going to be enough to make a big change, John. I think um, seeing the numbers that, that the US um, industry put forward and, you know, we've, we're measuring what we think the dislocation of demand means in terms of its impact on their supply chain. It looks like it it might undershoot what's required. So it's um, it's inevitable there's going to be a, a large mess. Over in Europe, uh, product prices for skim milk powder and butter are nearing intervention levels. I think anyone in the industry looking at intervention and going, oh, do we want to do that again? Um, you know, that just kicks, it kicks the can down the road, doesn't it? You know, you mm. you move the problem to a later period. And I think we've, we've heard the US, some of the US, um, if you like, uh, arguments against having a program like that, looking at the EU and saying, we've only just emerged from that. That program started in 2015 and it was last year and probably early this year, we've finally seen that product leave the supply chain. So yeah, yeah with great reluctance, I reckon that that, that measure is being looked at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it certainly doesn't stop that, uh, that, that lobbying effort. And, you know, in terms of this situation, you know, of course, we've had the, the short term impacts and you know, the kind of lock up in food service or lockdown in populations and lock up in food service um, channels. Mm. You know, looking post the immediate situation, I mean, you know, we've, we've, we've got the short term issues. We've got the, you know, the long term prospect of a recession. Um, yep. You know, do you, how many waves do you see this having? Are there going to be reverberations kind of in the medium term or, or will it just be a case of going from uh, from lockdown to everyone feeling poor and not spending quite as much in the future? Yeah, I think there's a f there's probably a, a few steps in that. We, we've, uh, we've coined the phrase um, staggered reactivation, which um, we think that, you know, you've got, you've got places like Europe and the US, and not everyone's going to work in harmony uh, and so when countries have gone into these lockdowns, they've gone in at different times, even states in the US, you know, a whole lot of different timetables being operated. Mm. And then because they're a federal uh, system, uh, states, state governors will do things as they please. Um, there's this president who moves his arms around and points at things and calls reporters for fake news. Um, but, you know, Europe's got the same issue. It's a federal system. So they'll, they'll make country level calls on stuff. But I think even the, the case of if you're in tight lockdown situations and you see big chunks of retail and food service shut, when that starts to come back on, you get, I guess, two things. What do you turn back on and at what pace? And how does that impact food demand? And secondly, what do the consumers feel when they, you know, got the option of going out? So they're going to be probably cautious 
um, to be mixing a large chunk of the population could be quite fearful of contraction um, of a you know contracting an illness um, so I think that between current lockdowns and and recession there's quite a few steps and I don't think anyone's really got an answer yet we're struggling with it in Australia to where do you go to next and and what do you release um, so there's certainly I reckon there's going to be waves of infection yep <laughs> they'll come back and we'll probably tighten up so we've got a long way to go before we we get through to what would be you know probably pleasant times in recession because we can move around again <laughs> yeah yeah things things you take for granted uh, or, or do take for granted um, and and looking you know let's let's look at China as a bit of a a bit of a contrast, if you. I mean, they're they're almost um, at a stage where the or the word reopening is being used. Of course, it's a very limited reopening. We've we've seen them sort of dip in a little bit to to GDT last night. Um, you know, do, does this mean the uh, you know does the China story just pick up where it left off, or are we uh, are we going to see you know again a very different Chinese economy as well? Um, you know, dealing with this global recession again. In, in every corner really yeah i think human human behavior human practices are going to be changed i think probably probably it take a fair while before people um you know can can operate just the world I, I think the new there's a new normal we're going to develop i don't think we you know we haven't got an idea of what that looks like yet but it certainly won't be the same it'll be a lot of long time before freedom of travel that within countries and between countries there'll be some time before international travel comes back now the um, the extent to which economies rely on tourism and business travel uh, is is huge. You know, this this country relies on that for a start. I mean, a lot of Asian economies rely on on travel and tourism, big time. I've seen some stuff. I heard uh, heard some stuff this morning about tracking uh, people movement um, and and business movement. Just tracking mobility. It's probably something like a, a Google type thing that monitors movement saying that between monday to friday china's back china's back to about 80 percent of mobility that, that was being observed beforehand but on the weekends it's still only 20 percent 20 percent of mm. normal weekend activity so people are going back to business businesses are reopening and the government's sort of saying come on let's go back to work but people are bunkering down on weekends because they're scared of being outside that's probably the behavior shift that's going to take a fair bit to unlock um yeah, I think that's that's going to be interesting to watch. They're certainly, you know, trying to let us into this thing. Uh, they'll hopefully lead us out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, what you're saying, yeah, given that, you know, if there's an economic incentive, you have to work for your, you know, for your income or, or you know, there's perhaps a government authority encouraging you uh, to go to work, yeah. you're, you're going to do that. But given the choice, um, even after, you know, two or three months of lockdown, you're, uh, you're still going to stay home a lot of the time. Yeah. Well, let's let's I guess bring it back closer to home. I mean, you've got you guys have a fair bit of experience looking at the uh, the Australian market as well, and you know we've of course that's been a much more interesting market than you know, we've known in in any time that I'm certainly across. But um, you know we've we've gone from panic buying of of staples uh, in the last few weeks. Um, before that, you know we kind of had a nice value add story going and. Uh, you know, the end of $1 milk, um, is, is $1 milk going to look like a really good marketing idea, you know, for 2021? <laughs> I think, I hope, I think we've seen the last of that. Um, 
look, though, you know, what, how retailers behave when consumers get, get uh, stretched and, and spending gets curbed, um, you know, go anywhere. I think, I think something that the industry's, um, you know, the industry's managed to convince retailers of or retailers have realised who, who, who's achieved this, I don't know, but um, the, the costs of the dairy supply chain on the fr for fresh product um, have increased substantially. The fragility of milk production and that, you know, that oh, I guess the full cost of that system, I think the retailers have got that message that, you know, to keep that product on the shelf and keep businesses sustainable, um, that's that's changed. So I, we may not see it back there. I think what we've got to watch for is that um, there's a lot of cheap cheese in the Northern Hemisphere um, right now, uh, and there's going to be quite a bit of it. Um, and so as we as we go through, you know, we've I think there's also been a reasonable push through here of those higher cost, the higher cost of milk, which we've got from the world market, but the higher cost of milk for, you know, cheese production, or whatever, that's been pushed through to the consumer, pushed through the private label uh, into branded product. And there's a bit of that value captures come back to industry. Um, that's probably the biggest risk, I think, is that we, we don't see private label and food service markets crashed a little bit because of that cheap cheese. Uh, there's a lot of mozzarella that doesn't have a home at the moment in uh, in the US and uh, and probably some of that cheddar, etc. Those the big differences between Oceania uh, cheese prices and what's being quoted now in Europe and the US. So it'll take a while before that becomes pressing, but that's probably a danger sign for us, I think, in the short term. Yeah, of course. And, and I guess, um, you know, to some extent, you've got... Uh, farmers looking at what's happening with grain prices and the exchange rate and might be wondering if, you know, if the currency is going to save us on that import pressure. I mean, from what you're saying and from what we're seeing out there, that gap between Oceania and, and sort of and Northern Hemisphere pricing, you know, the, the drop in the currency has got to help, but it's probably not going to quite yeah. erode that. So there still will be that pressure. Yeah, there's a risk there. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Now, you guys, you know, run some pretty sophisticated modelling around, you know, commodity milk values and, um, you know, that uh, in the sense that they relate to farm gate pricing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, of course, a lot of people's minds are talking, are turning to uh, um, the upcoming season and, and, and some of the expectations that we've certainly had around, you know, pricing and, um, you know, where it might be have, have sort of been thrown under the bus. Um, How's, how's the modelling dealing with the current situation? I guess when there's there's so much um, you know so much turmoil in the markets and, and so many unknowns. Yeah, I think I think it's the I think it's the currency that's helping us out the most um, with that. Um, so our our weekly CMV is uh, is running pretty well. It's still up in the very high sevens. Um, I think uh, near eight dollars in the in the latest uh, weekly CMV. Um, if you look at what's happened on GDT overnight, um, that's that hasn't damaged. I think it's about seven ninety five in in our um, in our currency. Um, if you if you say that those lower commodity prices might reach here in a few months, or or might start to erode what our cheese selling price might be, for instance, say we get to the situation if it's thirty five hundred dollars a ton US, um, we're still above seven bucks in terms of CMV, right? Um, but the the biggest wild card, I think, you know, commodity prices will will certainly have downward pressure on. Um, it depends what supply response comes in the northern hemisphere and how quickly that kicks in. But 
we should still be, um, you know, around the $7 mark. That should still be reasonably safe. I think the dollar, John, is the is the biggest wild card here. That um, there's so many, there's so many, uh, I guess, forces on currency. There's so many different variables impacting relative values of currency, and that could be the thing that's uh, the hardest one to pick. Um, but right now, it's our friend. <laughs> Hopefully, it stays that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's interesting you say that because there's a hell of a range out there at the moment from, you know, Billy Bob, the internet expert on Facebook, quoting a farm gate price, but even, uh, you know, even, even the, the Rabobanks of the world, uh, you know, we've, we've seen some, uh, I guess, a whole range of forecasts out there for everything from high fives through to through to $7 plus. Um, so, mm. You know, it's a it's a heck of a situation we find ourselves in at the moment. And, and if I think to where I was at three months ago, looking ahead three months to the uh, to the new financial year, it, it kind of seems like an eternity. Yeah, yeah. All those things look like ancient history now, don't they? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and yeah, the assumptions the assumptions that drive everything. How many of those um, how many of those can we rely on apart from you know perhaps uh, basic human behaviour as we've, we've yeah. seen everything from from toilet paper to UHT and and all this. Yeah, look, the approach we've taken with that instead of you know I, I think in this age it, it's it's even dangerous to suggest you can do a forecast. Um, the way the way we've gone about it is we just build a scenario. You know, so you build a scenario and you got so many levers and say, well, how do you feel about those scenarios? And we'll have, we certainly have a stab at what we think some of those things are, but you've got to create different versions of what you think could occur because there's just so many variables. Um, none of us have seen anything like this where you've got these great big variables that could swing either way. It's the length of lockdown. It's the, um, the time it takes to wind out of those things. How long before milk supply changes in Europe and US, they're all huge adjustments. And you know, that that's, they're the bits that, uh, you know, so many of them are determined by external forces that no one's going to have any control of it. You know, government policy is going to drive quite a bit of that stuff. So it is pretty hard to um, give farmers very clear, very reliable signals now. So it's, um, you know, that's, we're not, we're not looking for excuses here. Uh, that's really, it's, it's going to be quite tough to be solid on uh, and dependable. So that's probably, I think that's a challenge in helping farmers understand what to do here, John. It's really, it's really quite a, quite a difficult situation as we head towards milk price, uh, you know, milk price season. Um, that's, uh, that's going to be tough stuff. Mm. Yeah, we've, we've, I mean, seems like a minor detail now, but we've got a mandatory code in the mix as well that, uh, you know, puts a few, a few extra restrictions around, uh, you know, around yeah. how business can be done and, and sort of breeds perhaps a little bit of conservatism as well. I think so, yeah. Yep. Or at, right. at the very least, a, a lot more pages of legalese in, uh, in contracts. Mm. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's about all I've, uh, I've got to cover, Steve. I think you've, you've sort of covered off on the main points uh, that I was going to, you know, discuss there at the end around uh, how you see um, how you see the situation shaping up and, and what should farmers be watching? I mean, I looked at the GDT results this morning and everyone's pretty excited about that, but it, it's, it kind of seems like it's an indicator that, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously always just one dot on the chart and perhaps we're seeing some, some Chinese buyers, you know, mm. dipping in and buying a bit hand to mouth, but it, it certainly um, doesn't suggest to me that we're going to see a massive turnaround because they're, uh, uh, open for business, as you will. Yeah, no, it was, look, I thought it was really encouraging. There's a few signals in that result that were pretty encouraging. 
Um, I mean, naturally, you know, one thing we we think is developing in that um, we we haven't we haven't touched on yet. But you know, as we go further, we've got Asian economies which are probably going to be dragged into recession because of the the dependence on big Western economies, which are which are vulnerable. And and when COVID nineteen starts to sweep into some some of the big Asian um, markets or regions and you know get out of control as you'd expect it would and so everyone's bracing themselves for Indonesia and Philippines and where you know systems of healthcare are are quite poor um, what will that do you know the thing we've seen in the past though is when recession hits it's not so much recession they look at the cost of product and usually when when prices are low that's when they'll buy big so that's a bit of a silver lining coming I think I think there's quite a bit of demand still pent up up there that might uh, might help us ease out of this situation. Yeah, we certainly, I think we saw a bit of an incidence of that a few GDTs ago. There was some enhanced yep. Southeast Asian presence when, when Chinese buyers had, had backed out for a while there. Mm. Yep. So kind of all these all these signals to keep watching, but the big question is uh, how big is the recession going to be and uh, and how does that yank all the, all the strings on... on you know, consumer behaviour and, and spending. Um, that's kind of what we're watching, isn't it? The supply, mm. of course, the supply uh, supply trends, but uh, but the bigger question of, of who's going to buy it and how much money they've got. Yep. Yep. Yeah, look, I think um, uh, one good thing, I was talked about friends in the States a lot about about this impact when they brace themselves for a, for a downturn. We've seen recessions in the US in the past and... Um, I think the thing to remember is when they had uh, when they had the GFC and it was a long cold winter after that. You know when they when they had pretty lean times, their cheese consumption went up. So while people uh, might bunker down for um, uh, you know might be less discretionary spending, um, they actually go for cheaper options and that involves more pizzas, more burgers, uh, and the cheese quantity lifts. So it might be cheaper unit price, but certainly the volumes pull through, and that that might be something to look forward to. Probably a good place to wind it up, Steve. Thanks very much yep. for your time. That's a pleasure. Thanks to John Droppert and Steve Spencer for what was a generally positive view of how things might play out in world milk markets in the coming months. Stay tuned for further COVID-19 and non-COVID-19 related podcasts in the coming days and weeks. And don't forget, you can find the Dairy Pod archive on SoundCloud or you can subscribe at Apple Podcast. Thanks for listening and take care. Mm-hmm.